must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make them. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. One major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. All right, folks, let's go back to New York City. Everybody, Radical Russ here at Dag Hammarskjöld Plaza for the SSDP event. They are uh, demonstrating and showing off art and explaining the international drug war to the public here. And we've got one of the finest SSDP speakers. I loved your your talk the other day. Introduce yourself to the the crowd and and where are you from? My name is Brett Phelps. I'm from Farmington, New Mexico, and I'm the chapter leader of Students for Sensible Drug Policy at the University of New Mexico School of Law. I love that we're getting more SSDP chapters at law schools. How do your law school officials react to that? Our faculty has been nothing but supportive, really. It was something that I was I was nervous going into law school. I knew that's what I wanted to do. That's the only reason I went. And I was nervous about how it was actually going to go down. But from the very first day, my first professor, you know, they're going around the class asking who you are, where you're from, what you want to do. And I said I wanted to work on drug policy reform and... Professor just said, that's great. We need more people doing that. And it's been, yeah, all support since then. When you opened your speech the other night at the awards ceremony, you uh, gave a bunch of hypotheticals about people getting busted and what that experience is like. You want to run that down for me again? Yeah. So my speech on on Saturday was about a vision for a post-prohibition world. And so my vision on that was about making peace with the police. And how when we end prohibition, we can really rethink the way that we deal with police. So I started my talk off with some of my more negative encounters that I've had with police um, in the past. You know, I was I wasn't really causing too much trouble, but I ended up in the wrong place in the wrong time a lot of times. And I actually yeah have been charged with marijuana possession and or paraphernalia three times. Um Luckily, I have never actually been convicted, you know, but there's been some crazy stuff. I've done a lot of time on probation. Uh, I had a real kick-ass public defender that helped me out with one case. So, yeah, that's really, it was all that craziness and cops pointing guns at me and all that that led me into this place that I am now. So the legalization then is one of the tools we need to do to make peace with the police. Absolutely, yeah. So, So by... By legalizing cannabis and, and other drugs, it really it changes the dynamic in terms of how law enforcement sees the general population and can treat them. You know, if we if if they suspect if anyone who's even suspected of having drugs is a potential criminal, then it really yeah makes a, makes it an us against them kind of situation. So by moving legalization forward and allowing police to focus on serious crime. I really think that that can have a, a dramatic impact on, you know, community police relations. Some of the ways we've been successful in getting uh, cannabis uh, re-legalized have had to do with a tax argument. A lot of people smoke pot. We can tax them, make some money. There's been a criminal justice argument. There's been a marijuana safer than alcohol argument. What do we do as we move on to these other drugs that aren't necessarily safer and won't necessarily raise a lot of taxes? How do we move that ball forward? 
really looking at it as a social justice and human and human rights issue, right? The the liberty and freedom to be able to put what you want into your own body is something that translates much better beyond marijuana. You know, marijuana is really a, a, a great starting point, right? And the momentum is really in our favor. But if we're looking at it from a broader human rights perspective and the injustices... Um, socially, economically, and environmentally that are caused by this war on drugs, I think it really can help us broaden our perspective in terms of ending prohibition. Excellent. Now, is there any uh, contact info or website you'd like to give out for folks if they want to get in touch with you? Absolutely. Got a shout-out, ssdp.org. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Brett James Phelps, Twitter, at Brett J. Phelps, or brett.phelps at ssdp.org. Always happy to talk to supporters or the haters. Yeah, let me know any questions, comments. I'd love to talk to you. All right. Thank you so much, Brett. Folks there at the SSDP conference got to meet them in Washington, D.C. Spent some time at the Patients Out of Time conference in Baltimore. Did the D.C. marijuana seed and and, uh, weed giveaway in front of the White House. United Nations Mark Kleiman Cannabis Summit in New York. And the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference all in the past week. It's been a lot of travel, and thanks for sticking with me through it. I know I've had to play some uh, pre-recorded shows for you, and there's been some hang-ups with those on the playback, and we hope we've got that all ironed out. It was fun recording down there in the United Nations basement. We'll talk a little bit about that coming up here in Hour 2 and more of my reflections from a week worth of travel. But for now, that's all for Hour 1. Thanks for joining us. I'm Radical Russ. Until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Now it's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Where you can toke. I am here. Or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Poplin, Oregon at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? Don't tease me. We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and and the, the next thing you know, they got ten years. And now, here's your host, the guru of ganja graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, 
and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. All right, welcome back, tokers and tokets and non-token lovers of liberty. Radical Russ coming to you live. It's seven o'clock Eastern time. I'm I'm back on the East Coast here in the outskirts of Greenville, South Carolina. G R E E N V L, Greenville, and uh, it's a good time here. Lots of folks hanging out. I'm hanging out at the house of Big Daddy Fink from 420radio.org. And uh, some road-tripping activists have made their way to this hacienda. And uh, it's been a, been a delight because uh, that includes two who I was in New York with. Uh, that would be uh, Jenna Broom from North Carolina and Sharon Ravert from Georgia. They are uh, in the house, although they're technically not in the house right now. They're outside on the porch looking at the pool. But <laughs> it's been an interesting situation getting to see people in different places as we go from place to place. And, and you learn so much about the people that are involved in this marijuana activism and how much we rely on one another to uh, get through this and to be able to to uh, split hotel rooms and to be able to share meals and share cabs. And when someone's got a house and you're road tripping through, you can stop by and, and hang out and relax and get off the road for a while. Uh, there's so much cooperation that goes on in this and so many people that put so much of their own money into it and their own time into it. It's just a, a beautiful thing to be a part of. And I, I thank everybody who's ever supported me or helped me out in doing what I do. And I hope in some way I'm giving back and able to help those people that are moving forward in their activism. And coming up on this hour two, we've got some fun stuff for you because uh, I've been out on the road. Like I said, uh, New York City spent uh, five, six days in New York City. Got to go to Coney Island and the uh, 9-11 Memorial, which is the second most impactful memorial I've ever visited. Uh, the Vietnam War Memorial, of course, <laughs> was was powerful. That That's number one in my book. But uh, the 9-11 Memorial is right up there. And uh, got to see the East Village. Had a most interesting time. Uh, Kristen Gwynn, my former editor at The Alternate, now working at High Times. Uh, I had the time off, and, and we were done with the event at the United Nations. And I said, uh, what can I do that's New Yorky? But not touristy, right? Like I've done the Empire State Building and Times Square and Madison Square Garden and Central Park and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Freedom Tower. So so what can I do this New Yorky, but not touristy? And she goes, well, have you been to the East Village? <laughs> and I'm like, no. And so, well, let me take you to the East Village. Now, mind you, she's saying this. We're in Midtown. So we're like at 42nd Street, like UN, you know, First Avenue, right? And we have to walk downtown all the way to the East Village to like Alphabet City down there uh, and you know, 40 block walk. And this woman, she's definitely a New Yorker because she walks like a New Yorker. My God, they walk fast. I thought I was a fast walker, but uh, got nothing on these folks. And I'm like, you know what? I haven't noticed is a whole lot of skateboarders. And she goes, oh, that's where we're going. <laughs> is where the skateboarders are. And we had a good time. We walked down there. I uh, got to get uh, my fi finally got a slice of New York pizza and uh, visited Tompkins Square Park. And right as uh, I rolled up a doobie to smoke in Tompkins Square Park and took my first puff, suddenly out of nowhere, an NYPD police van races through this is like the pedestrian part of the park races up the trail right toward us i'm like holy shit 
<laughs> oh my god, I'm getting busted again. Again, it's happening again. No, there was some fight or something that was going on past us. So this this police van just rolls right on by, lights and sirens blaring. I'm holding my breath. I've still got my hit in my lungs. <laughs> Waiting for this thing to go by. Oh my god, people. Ah, oh, I'm getting too old for this shit. <laughs> When we come back, we're going to take on a little Kevin Sabet from the United Nations. I sat on in his presentation, plus his protege, Will Jones, from Two is Enough D.C., the uh, losing Washington, D.C. organization, right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Hello, Mr. Man. Hi. I'm doing... I'm, I'm working. I'm sorry. No food till this is done. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. Live from South Carolina, I'm Radical Russ. Just hanging out here. Bunch of activists all about us. A couple of nice dogs, too. I got a little dog. A little long-haired dog chewing on a bone over to my right. And then I don't know where the big dog went, but Jenna brought this big old dog. One of them big dogs with them block heads. Got a dot. It'd be a white dog with a big old black dot right square in the middle of its skull. Couldn't be a more gentle dog. What a lovely, lovely dog. Makes me miss my Roscoe, but hey, that's the way the ball bounces. We're uh, back from so many different trips. I just flew here from Eugene, Oregon. I missed the North Carolina per- prescription pill bottle drop. Jenna Broom was showing me some of the pictures, and they just came from that, uh, Jenna and uh, Sharon did. And they were showing me some of the pictures from this uh, event, and there were thousands of North Carolinians that showed up there in Raleigh for this event. I'm so sad that I missed it. The uh, United Airlines flight out of Eugene, Oregon uh, got delayed four and a half hours. I've never had a four and a half hour flight delay, but, and, uh, to get me to South Carolina was a two, uh, layover trip. I had to hit Denver and Houston to get to Greenville, G R E E N V L Greenville. And, um, but it's been a lot of fun before Eugene, I came from uh, New York city and, uh, my last day in New York, uh, I had the day off. I scheduled an extra day, uh, after ungas and after, uh, the Mark Kleiman thing, I did like five days in a row there, Sunday through Thursday. And so I scheduled Friday to have the day off. But New York, as it does, uh, will make a man broke. Man, it's expensive in New York, right? And this is, you know, this was walking everywhere and taking uh, the subway, got the Metro card. Although somebody uh, led me to buying a bunch of special M&Ms for some reason. I don't know what the hell I'm doing buying M&Ms at $6.99 a pound. What the hell is that? Well, she took us to the M&M store. Why the hell do we go to the M&M store? And another great memory on the uh, the Metro, though, is uh, Jenna sleeping uh, on the subway with uh, Sharon sitting next to him when the bass player and the singer come on and uh, playing Stand By Me and serenades uh, Sharon there. That was that was pretty telling. I got video of that that we'll uh, have passed around and shared. But uh, the next thing I want to get to here on the show is Kevin Sabat. Because you may have seen the photo, if you follow my social media accounts, of 
me and Kevin next to each other. And I tweeted it out alongside a picture from the old Warner Brothers cartoon of Sam the Sheepdog and Ralph the Wolf. Now, a lot of people, when they see that, they think it's Wiley Coyote, but it's not. Wiley Coyote does not speak. Sam or uh, uh, Ralph the Wolf does. So it's the one where Sam and Ralph, they're both clocking in. Morning, Sam. Morning, Ralph. And then the rest of the cartoon is typical sheepdog versus wolf, you know, trying to get the sheep and Acme bomb making stuff is involved and so forth. And at the end of it, they're both clocking out. And that's kind of how I feel whenever I see Kevin Sabet. Like he's Sam the sheepdog and I'm Ralph the wolf somehow. But we're both. The subtle part is that they're both clocking in on the same time clock. Right. You ever notice that in the cartoon, the wolf and the sheepdog both clocking in. That's a subtle kind of, you know, political statement, you know, <laughs> if you really think about that. Right. And in the same way, I think uh, Sabet and I are, are in that boat in that the drug war, the controversy over it, you know, pays both of our uh, salaries. Uh, his far more lucratively than mine. <laughs> Let me just put that out there far more lucratively than mine. But still uh, kind of. Both, uh, I had someone I met recently that said, uh, paladin of pot called me a paladin of pot. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Yeah. I just kind of believe in this and I believe in this change and I believe in it as a, as a civil rights thing. So when I tweeted that picture out, a lot of people were like, well, how do you not punch him in the face? How do you, how can you stand that guy? Uh, right. And, and I don't know, maybe I take the position that he does really believe in what he's doing, right? That, that he, that, that maybe he, you know, he's like a religious person, right? When you find a religious person and, and you question really, you know, if you get down to the literal, lit, the literal texts of what they believe and you get, you, come on, you don't really believe that. Come on, really? And they do, right? And do you ascribe them as them trying to fool you or to fool themselves, right? And I don't know, with Kevin, I just, I get this feeling like, his heart's in the right place. <laughs> he just wants everybody to be sober, <laughs> I guess. But anyway, so I saw him there at the uh, United Nations thing. And I asked him, you know, hey, I want to see your event. When's your event? And he says, well, it's uh, Thursday at 530. Okay, I'll be there. Right. So I end up going there and it's this a UN conference room. And, and the, the title of the event was Alternative Legal Regimes for Cannabis. Alternative legal regimes for cannabis. And the funny thing was, there's four speakers. There was a speaker from the World Health Organization, uh, Ingstrom, Maria Ingstrom, I think her name was, uh, Kevin Sabet, and then Will Jones. Will Jones is the guy that headed up Two Is Enough DC, which was the anti legalization campaign that lost 70 to 30, or was it 71 29, something like that. He's a young African American man, uh, 24, 26, something like that. And, and, he's a rising star. Watch this kid coming. He's, he's pretty good at what he does. Um, doesn't mean that he's not completely full of shit on some of this stuff, but <laughs> we'll play some of him if we get some time too. And then there was also a professor, Sean Leno, uh, from UC Denver, university, of Colorado, Denver, who, who gave all sorts of scare stats that, you know, won't withstand a moment of scrutiny. I don't even know if I'll get time to play this guy. Some of the stuff like, Here's a bar graph of how much, how often people smoke pot in prohibition states compared to how much they smoke pot in medical states. Ooh, it's bigger compared to how much they smoke in recreational states. Ooh, it's really big. Well, yeah, because places where people smoke pot, 
they pass laws, <laughs> right? It, it's not working the other way around. It's not like you pass a law and suddenly all these people started smoking pot. No, they were already smoking pot and they got together and said, hey, you know what? <laughs> be nice if we weren't criminals. Maybe we ought to pass a law. And that's what happens. So all sorts of BS, scaremonging, bullshit stats like that in this uh, report. So I was there and I was there along with a few other people, uh, uh, Kristen Gwynn from alternate oh uh, good day heading back on the road okay good day ladies so see you so nice so nice to see you good day good day tally ho (laughs) see you soon i'll see you down in atlanta or dahlonega i'm not sure where we're stopping first yeah probably dahlonega probably dahlonega okay we're live here on cannabis radio definitely live Got to say goodbye to our activist friends they're heading back on the road back to uh, georgia from their uh, north carolina gig but anyway, uh, the uh, the Kevin Sabet adventure, lots of fun. Had that Sean Leno, and so these four speakers, and uh, also attending. Uh, I saw Kristen Gwynn there from Alternate, or formerly from Alternate, now with High Times. Um, who else was uh, attending there? The, uh, oh, oh, the this woman uh, Jennifer ha- Handler Hauser. Howler, something like that. I can't remember the last name exactly, but she's uh, with Tilray which is the medical subsidiary of privateer holdings. And it's particularly funny during Kevin Sabet's presentation. And you'll hear it when we get to the audio here, he makes presentation part of his presentations, that whole big marijuana scare. Oh no, here comes a marijuana industry. That's going to want to hook all your kids. Oh, big marijuana. That's going to create jobs and pay taxes and settle its disputes in courts instead of with bullets. Oh no. Right. <laughs> This is that's his that's all they got left. Right. So as Kevin makes his big marijuana scare, he makes he one of his slides has, a you know, privateer holdings, Marley Natural privateer holdings. So I got this great snapshot of Jennifer, the woman from Tilray, looking at the slide. <laughs> you know, I got the back of her head looking at the slide of it kind of demeaning her company. And she did end up uh, getting to talk to him after the event. I saw her go up and uh, and uh, make some conversation with Kevin. So I. Wish I could have been uh, a little closer to have heard what went down, but <laughs> it sounded very interesting. I also, at the end of the event, uh, introduced myself to Will Jones, the uh, the young man from Two Is Enough, D.C. And I came up to him and I said, "Hey, uh, Will, uh, that was a you have some fantastic presentation skills. Uh, I'm Radical Russ. Nice to meet you." And he was genuinely shocked. He actually jumped back a bit. It was funny. You're, you're radical. I can't believe I'm talking to radical Russ. I'm like in my mind thinking, yeah, like potheads can fly and shit, you know, <laughs> you know, we can, we can buy plane tickets and dress in suits and stuff. Who, who knew <laughs> anyway? So we'll play some of that. And, um, also coming up on the show, we'll have some time to get to, uh, some musical, uh, interludes. We heard from John Forte, at the Museum for uh, Drug Policy. Uh, the Museum of Drug Policy was set up for three days. It was a temporary thing they set up on Park Avenue. Open Society Foundation, which is the uh, George Soros-funded uh, philanthropic arm, uh, funded this museum on Park Avenue, which is some pretty expensive real estate. Who knows? Three days on Park Avenue could be like a year's worth of rent in a lot of places, probably. But they had this warehouse on uh, 235 Park Avenue that was set up as a temporary... Uh, Museum of Drug Policy, and John Forte played there, so I'll have some music from John Forte. 
But uh, that, that was an amazing display, by the way. Some great art. Also, they had a, a mock-up of a supervised injection facility like you have in Vancouver, uh, British Columbia, in Switzerland, and so forth. Th- th- good to see what that looked like, you know, clean, sterile, you know, nothing scary about it. And, and that was another major uh, portion of, you know, a-, a lot of what went down at the UN, at the drug policy summits, people broadening their horizons beyond just cannabis. It almost seems, even on both sides, that this cannabis legalization thing is kind of just going to happen. And people are looking beyond that now to look at other drugs and how we deal with other drugs. I read a news blurb today that Hawaii's legislature is looking at, you know, maybe we just go toward decriminalizing all drugs. And there may be a revolution in thought going on now that recognizes that prohibition is the problem. Now, it's not that... I know nothing. Nothing. I'll have to get to that point later. Because it is now 4.20 in my native Pacific time zone. And uh, thanks to the uh, biological clock, of course, I need to take a very important safety break. So we're going to take a break. And we got that Kevin Sabet audio. We'll get to that next. So stay tuned. here for Radical Rick. Is there a Radical Rick here? How about a Rick Russ? Any any Rick Russ? Somebody named Freddie Barack has sent him a package. Anybody? What is that? Sounds like a stuff. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. It is... 723 here on the East Coast, 423 back home in beautiful Potland, Oregon. And uh, we just heard our commercial from uh, our, my supporter and longtime sponsor, Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo. And I want to give a special shout out to uh, Thomas Barrington from Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, who uh, has just gotten married. Congratulations uh, on your wedding. Uh, so happy for the both of you. And uh, the pictures I'm seeing on Facebook are beautiful. You look great. Everybody looks like they had a great time. And I really wish I could have been there as well. So um, Thomas and Beth Barrington, I don't know if you're going to keep the last name, Beth, but whatever you're going to do, uh, Let's all be PC. However we want to do it. Uh, we support it. <laughs> now I've gone completely off track, but I'm so glad that you had a happy wedding and I hope things go very well for you both. All right, let's get to the audio for today because, uh, I attended that session, Kevin Sabet's, uh, alternative legal regimes for cannabis that he held at the United Nations, where not a single alternative legal regime for cannabis was discussed. There were no alternatives whatsoever discussed. It was all just pretty much ragging on Colorado and Washington to some extent, ragging on legalization, how we can't let it happen in California because then the sky will fall. And uh, let's get to it. Here's some Kevin Sabet for you. In the field, we will move on to a more political angle of this issue. And uh, Kevin Sabet is one of the most primary oppositions to cannabis legalization in the United States, it's fair to say, and uh, he will walk us through what is happening with the commercialization of uh, cannabis. So, Kevin, 
Thank you, Eric, and uh, your excellencies and representatives and delegates that are here, members of UN agencies. Uh, I want to appreci uh, express appreciation for, for you attending this uh, last side event on the last day of maybe the last UNGAS, this, this decade at least, right? Um, maybe. Uh, it, it depends. Um, and uh, I, I realize that uh, there are a lot of other uh, things that we want to tend to, but we're very appreciative that you're here. I'm going to talk um, hopefully brief somewhat briefly uh, and quickly, although we'll make sure this is uh, available for you afterwards, and I think all the presentations will be available for you about really what the U.S. is seeing uh, right now in the midst of uh, the greatest change in uh, any, I think, national drug policy in the world in uh, over a century, I would, I would venture to say. We're, we're very proud to be part of the Prevent, Don't Promote uh, campaign here this week, an, uh, an NGO umbrella group, a campaign of over 300 NGOs from every part of the world. Um, and that's where I got to stop for the first, because I, I saw their sign there. They had the, them around at the UN. Prevent, don't promote. Prevent, don't promote. Now, you have to understand that we also had something that we wanted to have at the UN. The uh, Drug Policy Alliance and LEAP and all the groups and a thousand signatories signed on to this letter uh, to Ban Ki-moon, the president or the secretary general of the UN, to end the global war on drugs. And it came as a kind of a newsletter format that, you know, like an eight-page newsletter format. And on the top, it said the Post-Prohibition Times, which was like in the old English font. And it had the letter. And then the rest of the pages were all the signatories. That's how many there were. It took eight pages to list them. UN security were confiscating those. You were not allowed to bring those into the UN because it was politicking, illegal politicking. But apparently the NGOs that are fighting against legalization can have prevent, don't promote, prevent, don't promote everywhere. Prevent, don't promote. My only problem with prevent, don't promote is it, it kind of implies that there's only two choices that we're either preventing people from using drugs or we're promoting people using for drugs. How about we just leave people alone? Couldn't that be one of the options? Like when they talk about, when they worry about this advertising that might happen for drugs or for, for marijuana, there could be advertising for marijuana, preventing or promoting marijuana use. I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing, especially if that's getting people off of Ambien and acetaminophen and arthritis meds. And that's just the A's. Right? <laughs> We're just starting down the list. Anyway, let's go back to Kevin for a second here. Uh, prevent, don't promote. Jeez. I'm really talking about the importance of prevention and not promoting um, drug abuse uh, in, in any way. Um, many of you know about what uh, Smart Approaches to Marijuana is. It's a, we sort of call ourselves a third-way organization that doesn't want to criminalize uh, drug use, especially marijuana use, but also doesn't want to um, allow the presence of another global um, public health disaster in the name of uh, really addiction marketing and a, a, a disaster in addiction marketing and we oh no a disaster. we'd all be addicted to pot there'll be pot zombies oh my god but uh, i i talked with chris goldstein i finally got to see chris goldstein uh in dc and uh share a bowl with him after his two, after him being on probation for two years and he tells me you know i've always said that uh project sam should really be called project samuel smart approaches to marijuana use except legalization. And he says, yeah, do you know what smart stands for? And I go, no. He says, stoners must all receive treatment. I'm like, yeah, that's, there you go. That's your smart approaches. As we now see 
with uh, the global tobacco uh, industry and the global alcohol industry, as well as uh, uh, pharmaceutical companies. So we are advocating for an evidence-based uh, approach, and, and we were founded by the former Congressman Patrick Kennedy, who's a tireless supporter of uh, mental health around the world. Um, over you know, several affiliates, uh, dozens around the world and in the U.S. We're very worried that um, this issue of legalization is bringing along what we call big marijuana. Um, this idea that there will be companies uh, marketing uh, uh, marijuana use uh, to young people because that is when, of course, the brain is most vulnerable to addiction. Um, and I have yet to find a marijuana company in the legal states that is marketing their marijuana to, to the youth. The slides that Kevin displays at points like this to indicate that this is happening are the old pictures from the tainted ink case going back to the early 2000s of things like Keef cats and Buddha fingers, right? Where they make puns off of the, they do rip off brands of existing candy bars for medicated bars. And then, of course, God forbid, the gummy bear. Oh, my God, the gummy bear. Right. So these there'll be slides of these gummy bears and Keef cats and Butterfingers. And that's supposed to indicate marketing to the kids. Now, I actually looked up the stats on this. because You know me. I look shit up. And um, according to the uh, Confectioners Association, whatever the hell the name of the group is, I forget the exact acronym. But basically, the trade association for candy, two-thirds of all candy in the United States is consumed by adults. So two out of three gummy bears are, are, are going to adults. So why are you saying this is marketing to kids when clearly adults like this stuff too? Have you ever visited a Walmart? Have you seen the people shopping there? Come on. People like candy. Adults like candy. That That is not prima facie evidence of marketing to kids. Another another one that was cited, and this was funny, was uh, in his slideshow. A little later, he shows a picture of an ad that you'd see in a, a typical trade mag or a you know dope magazine or whatever. I shouldn't pick on dope. I don't know if it was in their magazine. But, you know, one of the, you know, weed magazines of uh, a scantily clad woman. Right. With, uh, you know, medical recommendation or whatever. And that was supposed to be marketing, marketing to children. It's like, no, it might be marketing to young men who, as of the age of 18, can get a medical marijuana recommendation in the state of Colorado. And, and to say that the picture, you know, pictures of scantily clad women are only marketing to young men. Excuse me. I'm 48. <laughs> I, I was, um, let's say I wasn't offended by the pictures. And if I was offended, it wasn't for the reason of them being scantily clad women It's for the sexism and the marketing as if scantily clad women don't appeal to older men or lots of women for that matter. I digress. Let's get back to some of the Kevin Sabet audio here. And, and other groups uh, vulnerable to addiction as well. Um, there has been a huge tide of money. Uh, around the world, actually. And it's important to mention this because we, we don't hear about that. Um, and especially around in the United States uh, by this industry and by uh, lobby groups with industry folks on their boards of directors, um, often calling for an end to the war on drugs or a health approach. And then unfortunately, when you sort of dig a little bit deeper, you see the money is really about 
um, something much more pernicious, I think, because I don't think any of us want to see those who need help incarcerated or criminalized for what is essentially a health problem. But we also know that health problems are not ameliorated when we support them, uh, when, we, you know, when we promote the, the actual disease. Uh, which is what we're seeing. Uh, many of you know uh, that. See, this is this is where he's. This is where Kevin Smith lives, and that's why I don't think he's like to be a bullshitter. You have to know that what you're saying is bullshit, and I don't think he thinks what he's saying is bullshit. I think he believes it that people that use marijuana have a disease. That's the way he sees it: is that drug abuse is drug use. That any use is abuse, that using drugs, just the the act of taking drugs, the idea that you as a sober human being would want to alter your consciousness is right there what he's against. is This idea that you'd change your consciousness, well, you must be sick. You don't like yourself the way you are. You, you, you hate being sober, therefore you don't like reality as it is, and that's a sickness. And there's people that think this way. And I, I believe that's where he's coming from. You see it in the, in the background of all of this rhetoric. He just said something to the effect of that we're promoting this disease by, by legalizing marijuana. No, you're recognizing that a whole lot of people already use marijuana. They already do. It doesn't matter if it's a disease, a moral failing, a health choice, a smarter alternative, all use is none yet. It doesn't matter why they're using. There's 28 million of them already doing it. And they're going to keep doing it. You're never going to stop them from doing it. I was smoking a joint two blocks away from the United Nations that just had a big discussion about enforcing international drug treaties that made what I was doing illegal. They're not going to stop it. There's already 28 million. So the question is, how do you deal with all those people that are going to keep doing what they're doing? And if they're going to keep doing it, somebody's going to keep supplying them. And if you don't legalize it, the market side, you're going to have violence. You're going to have corruption. It's an immutable law. It's just the, we've seen it in stark terms in Mexico, in Nicaragua, in Honduras. We know this exists in every city in America. <laughs> the evidence is quite in. We don't need a whole lot more study or introspection on it. If you don't legalize the market, criminals own the market. And criminals with money do bad things. We'll come back with more Kevin Sabet. When we return from South Carolina, we're live. I'm Radical Russ. Stick around. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Remember, friends, there's more to life than marijuana. I just can't remember what it is. Why did I come in here? This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. We're live from South Carolina, where I just finished eating two pixie sticks. Remember pixie sticks? Just the powder in a stick, right? 
good stuff. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is... It's, it's interesting how over the past week I've stayed uh, in the guest room at Keith Strop's house, the founder of Normal. And then I went to a hotel room in Midtown Manhattan that was like a bed and then a foot around that bed, <laughs> right? That you could walk around and then a little bathroom tucked off the side, right? And it was $91, which was... I'm like, oh, I got a Midtown 91, right? I wanted to get it for the next day. I looked up on because I got it through Hotels.com, right? And I went online to see if I could extend it another day. Second day, $988 for that room, right? So I had some sort of wicked ninja got it last second. They had to sell it or else deal. <laughs> and I didn't get it the second night. And then the next four nights, I spent in an Airbnb in Long Island City, um, off of Crescent Street, off the Queensboro uh, Plaza, that was like this this two bedroom apartment that had been subdivided into four rooms, and each one was being Airbnb'd by somebody, and you never saw anybody in it, and like the living room and the kitchen were always empty. It was really weird. And again, my room bed one foot of space around it that was like forty one bucks a night though. So I got to stay in New York for that pretty cheap. And then I go from there to a Hilton in Eugene. Two big plush beds and a wonderful shower. It's all nice. And then from there, I end up here, which is the best so far. This is the best so far, I got to say, because there's house burgers, there's pixie sticks, and there's dabs, and it's just a wonderful thing. (laughs) All right. So uh, let me get to... The uh, Kevin Sabet audio got some more of this from the United Nations General Assembly special session. Here's some more Kevin Sabet. In in 2016, November of this year, several states will be voting on this. And uh, right now in Vermont, especially, there's a very rigorous debate about what is happening. Uh, We are very concerned because we know that and this is actually these are statistics from Europe, but it's the same in the United States. Heavy users dominate the overall consumption of marijuana. And I'm glad we have people here from uh, Dr. Lanou here from Colorado who can also talk a little bit about this. But what we're very concerned with is that actually the, the sort of um, the most users of marijuana, and, and really this is true of all drugs, uh, don't, and including alcohol, aren't ones that are using it every day or actually using it in, in, in you know, sort of near daily use. But the small proportion in this graph we see here 20%. The small proportion of the people who used it in the past year, who use it almost every day or every other day, uh, they are the ones responsible for consuming the majority of the total volume of the drug. And um, so 20% of Europeans who smoke marijuana or use it close to every day are responsible for using 76% of the total uh, amount. And that's... Yes, and 20% of the drinkers are those who drink 80% of the beer, and 20% of the smokers are those who smoke 80% of the cigarettes, and 20% of the potato chip eaters are the ones that eat 80% of the potato chips, and 20% of the people who buy fur coats are the ones that buy 80% of the fur coats, and so forth. This is something called the 80-20 rule. The Pareto principle applies to just about anything for which there is a market. Now, Kevin wants to push this as his big marijuana point, the idea being that these industries, knowing that most of the consumption of their product happens among a small group of very committed consumers, 
are going to target those consumers. So you can find analogs to this in the targeting of alcohol toward young binge drinking people, college age binge drinking people. You can find this in the targeting of fast food to people of lower income and people uh, with more obesity and so forth. So the idea is like cigarettes, that those were targeted at young people to get them addicted early so they'd be lifetime smokers and heavy consumers of cigarettes. Likewise, there's going to be this push by big marijuana to have these consumers built young. We're going to market the marijuana to the kids young so they can start for a long time and be lifetime smokers. That's that's the idea. Now, the problem with this thinking is that marijuana is a product that's far different than cigarettes. See, big tobacco had to lie about its product because its product is toxic and it tastes like shit. It tastes awful. When you first smoke cigarette, first time anybody who's ever first smoked cigarette, it tastes like shit and usually makes you dizzy and hack and it's just awful for most people. So how do you get someone to keep using that product? Well, you got to do marketing. It's got to be something that makes you adult, something that makes you cool, something that makes you sexy, something for which peer pressure can make you want to conform to using that product. And indeed, that's what cigarettes had to do. They had to make it seem cool, had to make it, you know, the the signature of the bad guy or the, the femme fatale. And, and the young people wanted to copy that and be, seem more adult. But what we've seen recently is an incredible decrease in cigarette smoking, especially among the young, as that marketing has been attacked and as young people got the real information about what cigarettes do and how harmful they are. Now, to try to apply that model to cannabis doesn't make a lot of sense because cannabis is neither toxic nor highly addictive, and also it's a pleasant thing. That has, for many people in many circumstances, medicinal benefits. You don't have to lie about this product. You can tell the truth about it. The problem is to people like Kevin Sabet, telling the truth about it to them sounds like marketing. Sounds like trying to falsely create a desire for a product. There's nothing false about the desire for marijuana. It's a very valid desire. Our bodies have an endocannabinoid system. We like to feel good. Sometimes you get the blues. Smoking a joint seems to make you feel better. Sometimes your back aches from a hard day of work. Smoking a joint might make you feel better. Sometimes you want to enjoy a meal or a concert or some great sex. And smoking a joint makes you feel better. We're not bullshitting. We're not marketing this. We are telling the truth about this thing. And most of us, most of the more responsible ones of us, are willing to concede that it's not for everybody and it's not for every circumstance. Some people shouldn't be smoking, and some people are smoking too much. I'm willing to concede that. It's not for me to decide if it's too much. I mean, it might be in my opinion, might not be in their opinion. seems to be affecting their lives in negative ways. But I think everybody has a right to live a negative life if they want. That's one of the problems I have with some of our laws and some of our vision uh, in how we deal with others is this idea that we all have to live up to some sort of ultimate potential, right? That 
that we're not allowed to fail, that we're not allowed to live substandard lives. Why not? That's what freedom's all about, isn't it? <laughs> freedom to be who or whatever the hell you want to be, even if it's not the best you you can be. Maybe even if it's the worst you you can be. So long as you're not harming others, you have every right in the world to harm yourself. That's the way I see things. Anyway, let's go back to Kevin Sabet. See what he's got to say. Important if you're in the issue, uh, if you're in the business of uh, making money off of these kinds of activities, because you need to focus on those people who are the majority and the lion's share of your profits. You're not focusing on the person who you know um, wants to use it once or twice a year. You're not focusing it on sort of later users whose brains are pretty solid and aren't really going to be changing in terms of as vulnerable to addiction as they were if they were younger. You're focused on those that are that are really going to be the ones bringing your, your profit share. And in the U.S., overall marijuana use has been on the rise in the last decade since legalization and sort of much more, uh, I would say, commercialized medical marijuana programs have been widespread. You know, you can't really paint such a broad brush of this issue of medical marijuana in the U.S. Uh, they, every state really is, is, is a cornucopia of different sort of implementations. Uh, here in New York, for example, uh, you cannot buy smoked marijuana for medicine. It is extremely limited in terms of where it is and who can actually dispense it. Well, west of the Mississippi, most of the states, if you say you have back pain and you go to somebody who's not a doctor, you can actually still get um, really uh, 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 smoked marijuana. Uh. Okay, so that's a, a, a gross misstatement right there. So west of the Mississippi, uh, that would include Colorado and that would include Nevada and Arizona. Now, I know in Nevada and Arizona, they have fairly strict uh, condition lists that you must qualify under with a doctor's recommendation, not a not a doctor. Uh, Oregon, similarly difficult, similarly difficult, sorry, having trouble with my enunciation. Similarly difficult with uh, Oregon, you have to have a doctor's recommendation, and there's a strict qualifying list. Washington had been a little lax. It's getting a little stronger, but uh, and then the most lax would be, of course, the famous California experiment. Uh, Alaska, though, has a fairly strict condition list, and Hawaii has a fairly strict condition list. All of those states west of the Mississippi. Oh, yes, let's not forget Montana. Montana is a strict condition list that's gotten even stricter under its most recent legislative changes. And New Mexico, let's not leave out New Mexico, with also a strict condition list where one could not just walk in somewhere to a not a doctor and say they have a backache. I get so tired of that characterization by Kevin Sabet. Uh, for, for your supposed ailment. So what we've seen since those programs have spread is essentially an annual growth rate of close to 6%, an average annual growth rate. Um, and, and really, in the U.S., we're seeing the overall use go higher. We are concerned because essentially your brain is in, under constant development when you're an adolescent. And you know, here, um, uh, you can see from you know, age 5 to 20 what your brain's looking like. And you know, at, while it is, uh, your brain is sort of figuring out who it's going to be for the rest of its life, it's vulnerable to, to things that can come, that come into contact with it, by the way, good or bad. I mean, uh, if you learn a sport when you're, um, you know, five or 10 years old, you're more likely to be a lot better at that sport throughout your life than when you're, if you start when you're 50. You learn a second or third language very quickly when you're four or five, much easier than when you're 40 or 50. Well, the, the sort of double-edged sword part of that is that you're also more vulnerable to addictions of anything, of any kind. 
um, of, of all drugs. And what we know about cannabis in the excellent WHO report summary we just heard talks about the different specific regions in the brain um, that affect, uh, that are especially vulnerable, vulnerable to marijuana. And I think what's so, one of the sort of interesting things we heard about the, the truth that there are, have, no been, have not been fatal overdoses, although many overdoses, but not fatal overdoses uh, from marijuana resulting in stopping and breathing. What's interesting is here, actually, if I can get the green, there we go. We, as you see, we don't have can cannabis receptors, cannabinoid receptors in the brainstem, whereas we do for opiate receptors. And the brainstem actually regulates your heart rate of breathing in that way. Uh, so the, the reason we don't have the fatal overdoses is not because sort of one thing is less harmful than the other or whatever. It's because actually that mechanism in the brain that would stop breathing isn't there, thankfully, uh, in terms of the cannabinoid receptors. It is there. So uh, Kevin Sabet is thankful that we don't have any cannabinoid receptors in the brainstem so that smoking pot would uh, cause us to die. Do you think we'd still be smoking pot if we did, if it was caught? God, jeez. Only <sighs> so much you can listen to. We're going to come back, wrap things up here live from South Carolina. I'm Radical Russ. Stick around. We'll be right back after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Pod 2.0. It's not your father's Woodstock weed. <laughs> this is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. Live in South Carolina. We'll be here for the next couple of days. There's apparently a event happening, an event happening in Rock Hill, South Carolina tomorrow. I don't know whether I'll make that one. And then on Thursday, an event happening at the State House in Columbia, South Carolina in the morning. But I think I'll probably make that one. We'll go to the State House, Columbia, South Carolina. Reaching out to all the South Carolina listeners out there as well, if you'd like a chance to meet up, maybe we could have a lunch, some sort of get-together while we're there in Columbia. That would be pretty cool. And um, then heading down to Atlanta, Georgia, by way of Dahlonega, but we'll be heading to Atlanta for the Unity Torch there, and then making my way to Miami, Florida. May 1st through the 4th, I believe, and there'll be one of those Unity Torch events down there in Miami as well. So at any of these stops along the way, if you're in that area and we'd like to meet up, I love meeting up with fans from all over the country. John Chambers was in our chat room just a little while ago. Got to meet up with him in Eugene, Oregon, and uh, hope you had a good time there at that party, John. Uh I had an extra party pass, so I managed to slip him an extra party pass. I hope that worked out okay for you. But it's always fun meeting people because, uh, you know, it's hard for me to believe sometimes that this is my life, that this is my job, this is what I do. And it's always exciting for me to bring this to you. We'll be having an update to the RadicalRust.com website as soon as I can get to it, which God knows when that'll be. But um, we're looking to update that. If you are a web design company, speaking of Orange Hill, but if you are a web design company and you'd like to sponsor my web redesign and get all the shout outs in the world on my show, 
give me a call. Give me a ring. Send me a note through any of the social media. Radical Russ here. I would love to outsource my web redesign to somebody who knows what the hell they're doing, can make it all tablet-friendly and shit. My web skills ended in the early 2000s, folks. I know my limitations. So, uh, need help for that. Need to build a, a blog-heavy, uh, podcast-friendly sort of interface that has a VIP section with premium content only accessible to VIPs, special newsletter for VIPs, that kind of stuff. You got any ideas? Let me know. RadicalRust at gmail.com. That's all the time we got for today. Live from South Carolina, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down.